0: Today, we are speaking with Michelle Rivera. Michelle has over 20 years experience in animal welfare, including animal shelter and private practice veterinary management. In 2002, combining her business skills and seeing the desperate need for affordable spay-neuter programs in Kansas City, Michelle started Spay and Neuter Kansas City, Kansas City's first and now largest targeted spay-neuter program. As a strong leader in her community, she and her team have made spay and neuter Kansas City uniquely qualified to successfully mentor and provide leadership to other startup spay-neuter programs. Spay-neuter Kansas City programs include free low-cost spay-neuter, Families Better Together Outreach Program, and wellness clinics serving over a total of 20,000 pets a year. Spay-neuter Kansas City's efforts have contributed to a reduction in shelter intake and share in the successes of the community, which is 1.2 million people, reaching a 90% live release rate from all community shelters. Spay-neuter Kansas City's ability to positively impact the community is evidenced by the growing utilization of services, opening of a second location in Kansas City, Kansas, steadily increasing donations both local and national recognition of our programs and leadership, and most importantly, the overall reduction of animals killed in Kansas City's area shelters. Michelle, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. What a great amount of work and effort you've done over the last 20 years. Quite impressive. What was the initial spark that got you going in animal welfare? Well, first I have to say, I was scared of dogs growing up. I was fearful of any dog
1: I ever saw. And so getting involved in animal welfare, it was in the early 90s, I was actually a victim of a domestic violence uh, relationship. And part of my therapy was going to an animal shelter. And I didn't believe it at first. And I thought, why? I'm scared of dogs. Why are you putting me in an animal shelter? But those dogs won me over um one by one, each of them you know helped me become an independent person, become more secure and confident and so I started um volunteering there and then I moved into you know working at the front counter and eventually up to management. But at the time, I had no idea what pet homelessness was or over you know pet overpopulation was, and we were in a position in the early nineties where we were adopting out one pet to the three that were coming in the back door. Mm-hmm. And obviously doing some research, you know, finding out, well, spay and neutering is going to help us, you know, solve this problem faster than adopting. But the board of directors was not interested in starting a spay and neuter program on the preventative side. They wanted to continue with adoptions. And so I left the shelter because I didn't believe that killing was the answer. And I left in I um, found a veterinarian and we teamed up and we opened and started a spay-neuter clinic
0: out of his vet practice. That's great. That's excellent. So was there one particular piece of information that you saw that really convinced you that spay-neuter was the way to go in order to really impact overpopulation or were there several resources that you found sort of in your research? Thinking
1: back, what I remember coming across some articles from Peter Marsh from New Hampshire and started reading into that how you know targeted spay neutering and um how, you know how important spay neutering was in in decreasing uh, pet homelessness and that kind of sparked me into researching more i'm an entrepreneur i'm a numbers person so i was looking at this as a data and statistical option 2 and how we could actually be successful and reach the number of animals that needed to be spayed and neutered.
0: Yeah, I like that word entrepreneur. I also think of myself sort of in that way as as we're sort of in the trenches and in the field, we're always trying to think about how can we work more effectively, efficiently, yes. outside of the box, willing to consider other things, try new things. And I like you may feel that some of the more traditional animal welfare organizations may be less willing to go down that road a little bit. Absolutely. We are never
1: happy with status quo. We're always looking to get ahead and, and find the newest and best trends to um, be successful in all levels in animal welfare.
0: So you've gone from starting out as one person with an idea or one person with the support of a veterinarian and an idea to now two clinics with you know quite a large staff, $2 million budget, serving 20,000 animals a year. That's a big change going from this is my own thing to being responsible for, for two you know large facilities, as well as a, a team of employees and, and volunteers. And one thing that you have stressed to me in some of our conversations about is the importance of uh, workplace culture. Can you sort of define that a bit? What does that mean to you?
1: It's becoming more and more popular, workplace culture, core values. mindfulness, all kinds of things that are being brought to the workplace to make it a better place. To me, culture is making sure that our team walks out of here at the end of the day feeling rewarded and accomplished. If they are being listened to, if they are being recognized for their work, they feel accomplished and they want to come to work, they're going to be successful for you. Bottom line, they are going to perform.
0: They're going to do their jobs and um, in the end, it just makes it a better workplace. And there are many core values that you have within your organization. Would Would you be able to share them with us? Sure. And if I, you don't mind, I'll back up a little bit on how we actually
1: created those core values. A lot of people have asked me, you know, well, how do you start that? And and you can write them out on paper, but you absolutely have to have buy in from your team. What we did in the beginning was we sat our team down and said. First, let's start off, give us 20 buzzwords or um, adjectives that describe the kind of workplace environment that you want to work in, that you desire to work in, and the kind of adjectives that describe the services that we provide to our community. And we continued to, we took those words and continued to bunch those numbers into smaller groups until we came down with maybe 25 really good words that everybody believed in. And then we formed actual sentences and structure those into our basic core values, which um, are customer service excellence, education, accountability,
0: supporting a rewarding work environment, and teamwork. Those all sound great. They they are are great. And below those, you had sent me a document that has some, you know, descriptions of those key categories. And so you did this with staff, with board, with a combination of people. How did this process happen? Exactly, we did it with a whole combination of people. You know,
1: all of our stakeholders, our our board members, our um, volunteers, and our staff, looking at what was the most important thing to us for customer service excellence. It's delivering customer service with a compassionate and non judgmental attitude, giving our customers an actual. Experience. Experience, not just giving good customer service. 80% that's created a referral base of 80% word of mouth. So 80% of our clients coming to us are telling others about us. Um, and that's huge. That's free marketing for us. And, and it's a great compliment on our services. Under education, um, we're committed to providing education in a nonjudgmental and compassionate attitude. Not everybody wants to spay and neuter their pets. That's fine. But we're going to continue to educate and, and provide an open door for those people if they do change their mind. Being transparent and being honest, we make sure that we walk the talk all the time. Under accountability, we deliver the highest standards of customer service and quality of work, and each of us are responsible for our own accountability and accountability of our coworkers. Supporting a rewarding work environment, again, goes back to, you know, at the end of the day, we want you to walk out of here Feeling accomplished and rewarded, and then make your environment fun. We we have a lot of fun here. We work very hard, but we play hard too. We want to make and we want to make, <laughs> make sure everybody here enjoys their work. I mean, you're here eight hours, nine hours a day with other people. This can be your family, and make it fun. Make make the environment fun. Um, I let you know my staff decorate their offices and cubicles however they want. We have great team building exercises and, and team building meetings. Um, and then just teamwork. We, we're a true family here. One of the things we do when you start here is you create a collage um, about yourself, and we put that on the wall for not just for us to remind ourselves each day of that we're a family here, but for our customers and others and visitors to see, you know, a little bit of the personal side of each of us here.
0: The Community Cats podcast is now getting over three thousand downloads a month. The word is spreading, and we have a fast growing listener support base. Would your business want to be a sponsor of the show and help us to continue our programs? To find out more details, please go to www.communitycatspodcast.com sponsor. Does your organization not have a clear vision of what its goals and objectives are? Does it seem like everyone on your board has a different idea of what you should be doing and how to do it? Well, I can help you with a visioning workshop. I offer affordable, quick and painless strategic planning services for a small organization. I can even offer my services virtually. Are you interested? Just reach out to me at stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com. So one thing we had thought about talking about a bit was about the, the one bad apple in the group. You know, what if you have somebody who's just Super, super great, maybe in one category. You know, they're the person who's willing to go out and trap cats at two o'clock in the morning, but yet they just really don't have the family vision. One thing that we've talked about is there's a lot of drama in our workplace culture at times. And, you know, you state that you have a drama free workplace, which just sounds fantastic to me. So, How do you resolve those issues? Going back to creating those core values, I do want to warn people.
1: When we created those core values, I I really had no idea what was going to happen. But what happened was not everybody that bought into and, and helped us create those core values could live up to those core values. This was several years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And we had a huge staff turnover because we stuck to those core values. And we said, you are going to abide by and support these core values. So we had a pretty large staff turnover initially. Since then, we hire based on our core values. If you uh, apply for a job here and you have absolutely no animal experience, that's okay. As long as you um, have those competencies and characteristics that we're looking for that support our core value, we can train anybody on the technical side of things, except our vets. We, we can't compromise there. We're not <laughs> going to train our vets. But we can we can train those people. One of the things that we kind of watch out for, and, you know, you get those people that apply for a job and that want to come on that say, I just love animals. I love animals. They're my, they're my life. You know, I love, like, animals better than people. They're not going to be the right candidate for us. We are so people-focused because behind every one of these animals that are coming into our clinic is a person. Those people are picking our clinic. Those people are are choosing to come here. So we have to focus on those people. We'll provide the excellent level of service to those pets, but those people we we are going to put first. So we're looking for people who have people background, who have sales background. Our call center is made up of people who have worked in the call industry, in the call center industry, as well as sales. Our front desk people are absolutely positively people person. There's no exception. You have to be happy confident and go out of your way for our customers. And so as long as they, again, um, have the skill level or, or the competencies and the characteristics that support our core values, they're going to be more likely a candidate for us versus the person who may have 15 years, you know, in trapping cats. It's, it's just a better fit for us. Um, we have less turnover that
0: way. And is that true with your volunteer core as well as your staff? Yeah, I
1: think we are attracting more volunteers that are coming from the people side of things with our services versus an animal shelter for instance. We don't have a lot of hands-on animal stuff. There's a little bit of a, you know, volunteer opportunities in the back in surgery, but most of it is um customer service. It's it's here in the clinic, it's out in the field, um it's at offsite clinics and it's dealing with people. You know, you had mentioned too a drama-free workplace. We all took a oath Several years ago, everybody has a poster at their desktop that reminds them that they support and promote a drama-free workplace. We just don't support gossip and and can those cancerous quicks, and we just don't do it here. It just doesn't work for us.
0: Do you have any um, specific policies around like social media or anything like that? Oh gosh, I I just got off social media. You know, it just creates a burden.
1: You know, people tend to go to that when they're bored or. They don't have anything to do. And and to me, I've had to take a little social media break. But yeah, you know, first of all, we don't we don't we don't have Facebook here, except for the people that need to be on it for social media. We've taken it all off off of
0: everybody's workstations.
1: It just becomes a deterrent for people.
0: I think that's great. I agree with you. I think that there's a place for social media. Don't get me wrong. There's there's a place for it, but it's not something that we need to be plugged into every 10 minutes of the day. Right. It is a bad habit.
1: Um, one of the things that we do here is we have mindfulness sessions. We have an expert that comes in and helps our leadership team and our senior management team to walk them through mindfulness. And one of those things was for us to break away from social media and, and start focusing on living in the moment, being mindful of our surroundings. And so we are all working very hard on just staying away from that kind of
0: Now, uh, addressing mindfulness, that's helped address any burnout issues that you've had within the organization? Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell you. It's amazing. It's helped
1: all of us just to calm down, taking it day by day. We can't accomplish everything that we want um, as quickly as we'd like. We We can do it day by day. It's helped us become more focused, more organized. Just be better leaders. I, I can't recommend it enough. It is amazing.
0: With the fact that you've been in the business for, for 20 years and looking down the road, what do you think life will be like for community cats over the next five or 10 years? Well, for our particular area,
1: we're frustrated because we're pretty much the only people doing that um, in our community, offering any kind of TNR program. Marlon and I are working extremely hard. Our three-year goal is to have 50 private veterinarian clinics participating in our program and even more in the next 5 years. We'd like this to be a community-wide activity where you can get pick up a list of 75 veterinarians that are participating in a, in a community-wide TNR program. I think that is going to help us see the quickest results in our community.
0: Have you estimated the numbers of cats that you would need to do sort of on an annual basis to be able to really achieve the goals that you're looking for? Yes, unfortunately, that number is about a quarter of a million. So there's a lot more work to be done, even though you guys yeah. are doing a fantastic, fantastic job. And for those of you who didn't know of the Community Cats podcast in our in our earlier days, we did have Marlon Roberts on the show, and it was episode number 29. And he is a gentleman who heads up the sort of the boots on the ground program, and it was a fantastic episode, and it was a lot of fun to do and Marlon's just, I could feel the energy, you know, coming through the com- computer to me um, from all of his energy. So all you have to do is go to the communitycatspodcast.com and in the search bar, put in either Marlon or number 29 and you'll get that episode and you should really listen to it. It's a really fun, fun one. Talking about his outreach, uh, the Families Better Together Outreach Program. Sounds like really that's his area of of expertise and interest and his passion And it was just great to hear about that program and the work that that is going on in in Kansas City. So, Michelle, if there are folks interested in finding out more about the workplace culture issues that that you've dealt with, maybe finding out more about the core values, how would they reach out to you, to your organization? They
1: can email me at michelle at snkc.net. They can go to our website, uh, snkc.net. Or, they, you know, Marlin is a great person to reach out to if, if people have any questions on our TNR program or our outreach efforts. And that is Marlon at snkc.net. Great. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would love for people to reach out to me if they're they're in the same situation where we are. You know, you had mentioned earlier we have a 90% uh, live release rate live release rate in our community, which is great. We're not going to take full credit for that, obviously. A lot of our shelters have privatized and people are doing amazing work out there on the adoption side of things. What we are focusing on now, because we are um, concerned about, are we really going to neuter ourselves out of business? That's not what we want to do. And I think at some point we're going to hit a plateau. So what we've turned our focus on now is the pet retention part of things. We really focus on keeping pets in their homes. Animal control is um, finally getting on board with us and working to provide those resources to our community so that they don't have to impound animals. And so we are, you know, just in case we do end up spay neutering all the animals in our community, which probably won't happen, we are starting to focus on the education side of things. I don't know if I'll be doing this in 20 more years. I hope to retire, um, maybe go into consulting, but that would be my dream is to leave a legacy that I'm confident that what we've left in our community is a footprint for, to help change generations in the future and continue our success of decreasing shelter intake.
0: I think that's a great way to, to leave us for today's show. Lots of, lots of food for thought there. I could, uh, start a whole nother show on many of those (laughs) topics. But we'll we'll hold off at this point in time. But I want to thank you, Michelle, so much for being a guest on the show. This was fun. I really hope you'll be a guest in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Want to learn more about grants? Register for Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Learn the ins and outs of writing grants, how to track them, and how to do follow-up reports. This is a perfect educational opportunity for a small organization looking to develop a strategic grant writing program as a fundraiser. Go to communitycatspodcast.com and click the link on the homepage to register. After registering, you'll receive a confirmation email containing information about joining the webinar. That's Grants 101, a Community Cats podcast webinar on March 30th at 2 p.m.